Good, 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 good match show. Welcome to the WrestleMania 36 edition of Good Match Show. I'm Nello. Hello. That's Isai. All right. So we're very excited to chat tonight about WrestleMania 36. The too big for one night was the theme. And um, I once night one ended, I kind of had the realization like, oh, my God, normally this would be the halfway point, And I couldn't imagine actually having to sit through all of this. And I can't believe that for probably the last three years I have, like, yeah, definitely just sat through all of it. It's crazy. That's a lot different. It, it was I would have sat through it anyways. Also, I think the matches would have gone different in a normal WrestleMania. Oh yeah, like I don't think uh, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross and the Kabuki Warriors would have gone 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> had it. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Let's just uh, you just want to go through the matches. Yeah, that's actually what I was pulling up here. Hell yeah. All right, so first off, we got the pre-show. Cesaro defeating Drew Gulak with a UFO slam in four minutes and 25 seconds. Five seconds too long. Yeah, five seconds too long is all I got to say. It was a good yeah. four-minute opener. They're both really good. And then the UFO was sick. Yeah, I remember uh, Gulak really working over the arm well. I wish this got more time. I feel like if this even had just maybe five more minutes, they could have told a story. Um, but it kind of descended abruptly. In the Geek Battle Royal, so it's kind of cool for them. Yeah, and the normal mania, they don't even have this match, so at least, Good for at least they got Mac. that. He's jumped up the card a huge amount. So this pandemic has done him nothing but favors, I think. <laughs> so good for Drew. Um, next up, we had Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross defeating the Kabuki Warriors Iron in 15 minutes and five win. seconds. Twisted Bliss, is that what it is? No. What is it? Bliss cross applesauce. No, it's not. Get the fuck out of here. Bliss cross applesauce. <laughs> All right, we got Bliss cross applesauce and be defeating the Kabuki Warriors in 50 minutes and five seconds. I actually really enjoyed this match. I mean, when I say really enjoyed, I mean three three and a quarter stars, but... That's about what it should get, and it was good. It, yeah. it served its purpose. It was a good opener. Asuka and Kyrie are really good at this no crowd shit, and so it didn't make it feel weird. Yeah, um, I thought Oscar was definitely the highlight. She has probably been one of the big highlights. Just like I would say, her and then that whole little Fab Five of SmackDown: Nack, Gulak, Cesaro, Brian, and uh, yeah, the, Sammy. The Fab Five of Fridays. The Fab, yeah, the oh my god, the Friday Fab Five instead of the SmackDown Six. The Friday Five. Oh my god, we you heard it here first, we folks. That term first. The Friday Five. So check them out. Fridays at uh, whatever time SmackDown's on. If you're still watching that show, um, yeah. What I'm trying to think. What else? Uh, to me, Kyrie Sane kind of looked checked out of this match a little bit. She didn't really seem like was she was on her thing. I don't out, like. She had to jump into it because like of everything happening. She was in Japan before. Yeah. Had to come back, and so it was more so probably just like jet lagged and like exhausted. I mean, if I was Kyrie Sane, I'd be pissed. I'd have to come. They like, really you want me to fly across the world right now? Okay, cool. I'll be well, right there. What she was gonna do anyway, because like she just gotten married. Yeah. But it's just like it adds more yeah. stress. Yeah. Uh, up next, we had. Don't get married before mania. You heard it here first. Uh, we got Elias defeating King Corbin. Do you really want to talk about this? This was the wet fart of the night. I didn't give a flying fuck about it. So. I think like after the first minute, I was like, 
God, so this is what a real empty arena match feels like. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, because I was like, you know what? So far, like, that women's tag team championship match was fun. It was solid. They worked hard. And I was like, this mania could actually be pretty damn great. And then this happened. And I was like, please don't let this be an indicator of things to come. No. It went nine so, minutes, and it was nine minutes too long. Which is hilarious, because I'm looking at this right now. So Elias defeated King Corbin in nine minutes. And then Becky Lynch defeated Shayna Baszler in eight and a half minutes. So Elias and King Corbin got more time than the former WrestleMania main event star. Yep. What the fuck is the point? I'm really curious as to... I mean, obviously, the Shayna and Becky is the first in a series now, presumably. to have a long match where somebody's going to be an actual loser. Because when you have a long match like that... Doing a freak roll-up doesn't work like it does when a short match because then it's a surprise rather than that person was just beat. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me it's like, why the fuck do you save that for Mania? Mania is about moments and it's like, I just, I, I guess I don't see really the wanted, the purpose of uh, starting feuds at Mania. Well, yeah, a, but I mean like... No, 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 like they, would wa- they wanted to do a change in front of the crowd. Since they can't do it, they're holding off the change until they're back in front of a crowd. Do you You think it was that they're holding off on the change or they just wanted to um, just give more babyface wins? I think it was more so like they want to – if they're going to do a change and have Becky lose, they want people to be shocked and like have Mm -hmm. people there and have the reactions. Like the Undertaker face guy or Miz girl. Like they love those looks. (laughs) Miz girl, I forgot about that. All right, next up we have Sami Zayn defeating Daniel Bryan in 9 minutes and 20 seconds with a haluva kick. It was 8 minutes and 20 seconds of Bryan beating the fuck out of him. It was very, very stiff. And I, for, again, this was another one where it feels like this is the beginning of a series. And, I mean, it's kind of like they want you to forget that Sami Zayn is a fantastic wrestler. And this wasn't really a wrestler versus wrestler match. This was more of a wrestler versus manager match, which for me was frustrating. But it's hard for me to judge this match because I clearly wanted one thing and they gave me the complete fucking opposite. Well, it's it's like you're going into McDonald's and you order a Whopper. I went into McDonald's and I ordered the mixed spaghetti and I expected cuisine. That's what I wanted. Yeah. No, because like, so. it was always going to be this. Because I think what's going to end up happening um, in the story, because Brian is very hands-on with his stuff, and he can be. And you could tell because he wants to keep working with these guys. I mean, he's teaming with Drew Gulak, so like obviously he has something, like he has creative control. And I think it's going to lead up to them actually having a match. Like, Brian's going to beat the shit out of him until Sammy finally is not the coward. And it's like, okay, you want you want you want the real Sami Zayn, and then they have like that twenty minute match. Oh god, I wish that was here. I'm also thinking that maybe since Apollo Cruz has now left SmackDown to Raw, um, that we will get to see Chad Gable on this new sort of catchpoint two point stable with Daniel Bryan and Drew Gulak, because Bryan was tweeting about adding Gable to their unit and it would make sense for a three on three feud. Yeah, and yep. like He'd end up like he would beat fucking Cesaro, then Shinsuke beats Gulak, and then you have the fucking like the big yep. like the the final match with those two to see what. I mean, really, that that is your new SmackDown Six there, and I think that these guys have been able to utilize the empty arena match format in such a way because these probably are the five best 
at least on SmackDown, I can't think of any better wrestlers. Ali and I mean, Gable would be. I'd say Ali Gable and um, Morrison. Son of a bitch, Morrison. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, at least I would say that these five are far more technical, with the exception of Gable. But yeah, I mean, interchangeably, any of those guys would be great. So Ali definitely has to be the one. You know, we'll talk about it when we get to Dolph Ziggler. So um, next up, we had John Morrison defeating Jimmy Uso and Kofi Kingston 18 minutes and 30 seconds for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. They fucking went for it, so good on them. They, I think so they the really did. A lot of people, uh, sorry to cut you off. One of the things no that a lot of people, I think, had a hard time getting over is no crowd. And to me, I'm, I sit and watch these matches, and that in my head is already a thing. Like, there's going to be no crowd. Don't worry about this. Just worry about what's in the ring. And then just think about, okay, if a crowd was there, how would crowds react? What do you think they're going for? Kind of put that in my head as a caveat already instead of a pain point. Just like, no, this is the world we're in. And right now everything's different. My entertainment's going to be different. But at least I have something here. And so I try to look at it in a lot more positive way and don't hold that as a detriment to it. Just kind of know this is why it's happening. And kind of give it, I guess, like a, a graded on more of a curve. Yeah, I think that if you're looking at matches that work in this environment, this is one of the quintessential ones thus far. Yeah. Because the the cameras the camera use was great. The cuts are quick, but they're not distracting. And then I think that there were moments that the guys briefly paused where you could tell that this would be a big crowd pop, but it was never to the extent of something, say, like the NXT triple threat that just happened, where you could tell that these guys are just selling for a crowd that's not there. And um, I think that the pace was here. They really never stopped. Um, I don't know. I was I was really – I think that this was probably, along with Rhea and Charlotte, the best match of Mania Weekend for me. And I know that you're probably going to say Owens and Rollins. But, um, yeah, Owens and yeah. Rollins was the first match that felt like a WrestleMania match. Yeah, no, I mean, even though this match was fantastic, I still have to agree that it didn't feel like – there was nothing about it that made it feel like a Mania match. This was a match that could have happened on any pay-per-view. Yeah, um, this was, so yeah this next step at TLC and it would have been a great TLC match um, I think if you have a crowd there and you slow it down just a little bit like add on two minutes of like selling and stuff when a crowd's there and the pops like it goes 20 minutes and 30 seconds but that adds just a lot more to it where that'll build the mania match whereas they just didn't have the opportunity to but I thought it was really good yeah, I mean, I feel like these guys would have stolen the show had they gone to do the full six-man at Mania. I think that the only the only pro to come out of this is that someone probably escaped falling off the ladder and not getting catched by the Miz. Yeah, fucking Jimmy Uso is uh, a little happy about that. <laughs> you know how I tell them apart, Jimmy and Jay, now? It's super simple once you get it. Yeah, it helped a lot when he was just by himself. No, well, J- Jay has a cross tattoo on his right arm. So he's Jay Seuss, and there's Jimmy, and that's how you tell him apart. No, it's a little bit easier if you just look at him, like, apart, and you're like, okay, I get it now. <laughs> um, next up, we had Kevin Owens defeating Seth Rollins in 17 minutes and 20 seconds. We disagreed on this. I really hated the stop. I loved it. Um, it to me, that was, like, something that I think that should have been gotten rid of, given the empty arena. I think that if there was a crowd, they should have done it. 
But I think that for me, it killed the flow of the match. It made me think like it wasn't a swerve because I think that there's a good swerve, right? Like, oh, fuck, this sucks. And they get you and you're like, oh, yeah. But they swerved me. And then I never got back into the match because I was just kind of deflated after that. It's, it's like the pacing just died for me. I think with a lot of WWE stuff, like they hit you once and like it cuts you deep and you're hurt and you're like, fuck this. I hate you, Vince. Whereas, like, I take it, and I'm like, okay, that sucks. That really sucks, but what do I expect? And then they go and change it. I'm like, okay, never mind. Whereas, like, I'm ex- I think my expectations are set a lot different than yours on this. So you see a shitty swerve, and you're like, fuck you, you motherfucker. And I'm just like, oh, god damn it, I should have seen it coming. But then it got – I think it would have been done a really good thing with the crowd as well as, like, it plays into this, like – like working man's baby face Kevin Owens like no you're not gonna beat me I'm a fucking fighter and yeah he, he wasn't gonna take that bullshit I did like the the elbow drop off of the uh, the sign and, then, and I guess that when when uh, Owens visited the stadium Raymond James Stadium actually earlier in the year to find a place on the pirate ship where he would be able to jump off of onto Seth Rollins which is sad when you hear stuff like that what could have been what was planned and you kind of have to I don't really feel for Vince very much but I feel very much for the performers in that sense and what they were robbed of that these guys have a um, a same with like the the Smackdown 5 guys is that they've all probably they've all probably worked in front of like little to no people before for actual shows and still had to turn it on for the fucking family in the like in the front row that's the only people there like just working indies and coming up so they're able to be a lot more emotive and be vocal whereas guys like an Elias and King Corbin never had to do that. So, yes and no. I would agree with you, but then when I saw the women's NXT ladder match tonight, all six of those women came from independence, and it felt like half of them had never wrestled in front of not a crowd before. I think that it has – it oh, does have – like, that does factor that in. I think that – um no, like, Chelsea Green and Tegan Knox, the believability was just not there. But I think that it does have to do with having wrestled in front of small audiences. But when you compare someone like Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins to – say Elias and King Corbin I think it has to do with that these guys are just completely in tune with their characters too I think that Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins are two of the strongest characters on the roster Elias isn't in tune with this character like that's no but I'm saying so Elias no but Elias does guitar songs that's not a fucking character right he just sings songs but he doesn't have any like he says we walk with Elias and he sings songs that have nothing to do with who he is or anything we know who Kevin Owens is we know he fights for his family we know nothing about who Elias is we know nothing about what he does there's no catchphrases I'm saying like the stuff that they were able to say in the ring together that created character depth it created intrigue it created drama there's nothing that Elias and King Corbin could say in the ring like Rhea Ripley going really Charlotte really really Charlotte really for 10 fucking minutes that's someone that doesn't have their character down yet because they don't know how to talk as themselves I would think Rhea Ripley yes but I think Elias and King Corbin they both shine more on the character aspects of way more than they do in the ring by like leaps and bounds but again, I think, I think that for Elias, it's not so much. Like King Corbin, like, I don't think like he looks like such a shithead, and you know he's just somebody who thinks he's above wrestling. That's what his gimmick is, and that he rules over everybody, and that he's just yes, a but if savior guy. 
if this was AEW, I would totally agree with you. But the thing is that Corbin is fed everything he's given. So I don't think Corbin's really forged his character for him. I think he's good at do, doing what he's given. And I think Elias is the same way. But I don't see them as Kevin Owens or Seth Rollins going out there, defining themselves and creating actual depth and scope for their characters. Yeah, they're not going to be as good as a Kevin Owens, but I still think that they, like the character stuff they get and like working in front of no crowd is more so indicative of them never having to do that and just being trained in one system. You look at hard cam here, like you work to these fans here, like more so than like not having a character. Speaking of hard cam, what was up with Bianca doing a promo to the hard cam while Zelina was behind her? <laughs> when did you see that on raw? See, that, see this is yesterday. I... But then, so, so, but then what, what's crazy to me is that obviously the head office and those people in charge saw this happen and said, that's okay because it was taped. So that's fucking part of the, that's part of the company. I don't think too. it is as much because also they do this a lot where like, she did came in, did her little twirl entrance, walked like to that, and then ran. Rhea Ripley did the same thing. It's like, yep. whereas like when somebody else is running, even like a ricochet when he ran in and like got wiped out under this one time, like they play his music, but he's just fucking out there. He's not doing the fucking hand shit. It's it's back to playing wrestler, and I think with Bianca Belair, like I can almost like see in her head, she's like, okay, cool walk here, twirl. All right, I say my couple lines I have now, and then like I that's how I wrestle. Same with her matches. I was uh when when she came out and her music hit, I think Montez Ford was getting beat down in the ring, and she came out, and I was like, "Your husband's getting beat down in the ring." She has a twirl, so I thought, okay, either she's really trusting in her husband's physicality and strength. Like, he's not getting beat up that bad, or she's just really into herself. Um, it's but yeah, I don't no. think they have the intuition to know. It's like, they're like, oh, I was told I have to, when I go out, I do my thing. Whether, But then, like, somebody that's been in wrestling, understands wrestling, knows pro wrestling, will go out yeah. there and actually just run out. But I think that we have to, well... Like, for me, I see the Rhea thing, and I'm not trying to just cast on Rhea, but, like, Rhea was on live television. She walked out. She did her entrance. That was a fuck-up, right? This Bianca thing was taped, and it had to go through the hands of several people, and they all said, this is fine. And I think that's kind of fucking crazy that WWE still allows things like this to happen because as an environment, you should be encouraging your performers to always better themselves. And this was obviously a huge fuck-up and error. I think that in terms of performance, it didn't make any sense whatsoever to be talking towards the camera at the person who's behind you with two other people that could be attacking well, you. That, it was just I a think whole. That's more so, again, it's like the intuition's not there either, and it's like they're not going to yeah. have her redo the whole segment. But how can the two intuition be there if no one above you is ever going to say this isn't right? Because it's intuition. Intuition's like that, no, but I mean, knowledge like oh, this is what I know. Not necessarily a learned trait. It's more so, oh, this is what I just think is right. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, Triple H is obviously the taping. So you could have been like, Bianca, you don't cut a promo at the camera when you're talking to someone like that. That's all they had to do, and they didn't. So I think that that's on everyone in that case. Yeah. Um, next this up, in two minutes and ten... I'm going to be a huge Bianca, but I love Bianca. Um, I was actually, because I was like, we didn't really get any call-ups. And I feel like the three call-ups we got on Raw were Apollo Crews, <laughs> quote-unquote, um, Nia Jax, and Bianca Belair, yeah. which was I just think they're going to oh, save shit right now because they don't want to yeah. waste a lot. 
I don't think they could have called up anyone else. Like, who else would have come up on that Raw? Austin Theory, I guess, is kind of one. That's true. So, two minutes, ten seconds, Braun Strongman defeats Goldberg. I have absolutely nothing to say about this. It was a complete colossal horse shit. I don't know what anybody's expecting. Yeah, no, I mean, it was like, I had such low expectations for this, and it somehow, like, crawled underneath the ground, underneath oh, those expectations. Exactly what I thought it was, like, to a T. Like, I'm like, big move, big move, big move, and then shake off, big move, big move, big move, pin. I, I, I even, like, was thinking, like, they're going to hit, like, three or four spears, three or four power slams, we're going to go home. Yeah, it was, uh, I think... Paul Heyman Goldberg-style match. Where in a crowd, I think this would have worked a lot better. If there was a crowd, there wouldn't have been Braun Strowman. Yeah, let's, <laughs> just say, let's just say, like, this match happened to yeah. have a crowd. Yeah, oh, no, no, totally. This would have, um, I think I th- it would have worked because Braun has the charisma. I think Spear versus Spear has. would have been so awesome. Because you probably would have got a spot where they just fucking spear each other. Yeah, but... That would have been so sick. Yeah, but it it was what it was. I I wasn't ex- I was expecting this exact match, except I thought that he was gonna try for a like a jackhammer and then like fucking Braun then picks him up and that's where he gets it. So hmm. I just uh, I guess to like the the I'm trying to think of the word here like the the. Uh, why put the fucking title on the guy? Obviously, he's the only one that can be in that position, but it's like the um, the tone deafness of rewarding the guy who just basically shit-talked every independent wrestler, too. Like, Strowman just rubbed me so fucking wrong with that tweet, oh, and then you're going to turn around. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, as long as they don't give a shit about that, it's, it's just such a fucking slap in the face, I think. Anyway, Undertaker defeating AJ Styles in 19 minutes in the Boneyard, or according to Granny, the Barnyard match. Oh, yeah. I actually, so I wasn't big on this at first, because, so, since I'm a film, no, I'm a film, film guy, filmmaker, so it's hard for me to watch these more cinematic things without just taking into consideration every cinematic quality, every technical aspect, etc. So when I watched it this first time, I was kind of like, this isn't for me. The second time, I was able to look past the production elements, and this was a lot of fun. I think that from the opening moments of AJ popping out of the ca- like the casket, that's just fucking gold right there. And that was probably one of the best AJ Styles moments. Gonna, like, uh, Oster from the Russell Boys podcast. Uh, at Genuine Russell Boys. Um, he said it the <laughs> best. He's like, this is a CW show, but in a match. I'm like, fuck, you're right. <laughs> that's, that is really, yeah, that's it. It's not, I think you're thinking of it in terms of like, like with the movies and building things like that. If you look at it like at a shitty, campy fucking like CW ass show. No, I think it definitely, it definitely works in terms of, um, the B film CW aesthetic. It was for me more so at first, like I couldn't get past the fact that these fucking druids like necks were all hanging out and the costuming was bad. Like those were the things that I was offended by. Um, and I just, I don't know, I guess, um. It was it was really really fun, and this is because I think that you like this more than Firefly, and I like Firefly more than this. And I guess that for me it was that I enjoyed this on a purely surface level, but I didn't feel it had anything underneath it to offer. Whereas I feel like Firefly really dug deep. Yeah, oh, yeah, and the and I agree. Whereas I think sometimes, and I think the disappointing thing for me with Firefly, I think I told this to you, or maybe I said it on the podcast, 
is that Bray Wyatt never actually got anything over. Because it was more so just the journey of John Cena, not how The Fiend is powerful. It was more so just... Yeah, no, I think it was um, Alvarez that said, yeah, so what? Like, what the fuck does he do next? Like, this was cool, but, like, where does this put him? And it's absolutely nowhere. And, and that's and that's kind of my thing, whereas he still never avenged John Cena. Like, he never has gotten really his thing on John Cena. And so... Also, so what I'm hoping is that... His character's just... Sorry to cut you off. His, his character is just kind of fucked anyways. Yeah, no, I just... I think that the Fiend gimmick is destined to fail. This was the first scene that I've enjoyed the Fiend in since. Maybe some of the strap match. But, um... Sorry, Britt Baker just popped up on my TV and she is so goddamn bloody right now. That's funny. Um, that was a, a hell of a... I, just, I have no idea how she started bleeding. I think it was just like a random, like, face, like a scratch or something. Yeah. I don't know. Um, sorry, I just totally trailed off. Um, what were we talking about? A bone, uh, Firefly Funhouse match. Firefly Funhouse. Okay, so what I'm hoping is that this is, like, they, they will have the Fiend definitively go over Cena in a match. But I think that maybe this was the better idea at this time. Like, let's completely deconstruct and destroy who Cena is. Because imagine what Cena will then come into the match against him, maybe. Who knows? But even if this is the only thing between them, I really, really enjoyed it. But I think, like I said, like just the Fiend is so destined to fail with the sort of constructs and limits that they give him. Like, can't be fucking hurt, essentially. But um, something that I read that I actually enjoyed, which I think is complete bullshit... Because I don't think that Goldberg really thought about this or that any of the writers did. But that essentially every character that The Fiend has beaten has been someone that has not had conviction about who they are, right? Daniel Bryan was flip-flopping. And then they always revert. Seth goes back to his egomaniacal self. Miz goes back to his bastard self. Bryan goes back to his 2015 baby face. Cena disappears. The only person The Fiend couldn't beat was Goldberg. And when has Goldberg never been anything but just pure fucking 100% Goldberg? The guy didn't get like... Okay, but we're talking about WWE here, Bonds. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, no, this is something I read. Give the answers. You give the answers. Yeah, no, I just uh, I thought it was funny, no, I, and I was like, I, I guess Goldberg really a, hasn't changed that much. Of Twitter that has like these super like ridiculously deep takes on things, and like these stories that they like, craft in their head, and like you know that like these people aren't thinking about that. The writers no. like initially like when Goldberg was going over like they're like well fuck we're paying Bill we can have him put over Roman and then it's a big star big spear guy he's giving him the spear it wasn't ever like oh he can beat the fiend because he's pure and he always knows who he is yeah I don't think they think about that but I saw that too and like that thought is really cool but it's not they're not thinking about that shit (laughs) yeah um, on tonight too, Charlotte Flair defeats Rhea Ripley in the opening match, 20 minutes and 30 seconds with, I like, I didn't really care for Rhea's trash talking and character work much during this match, but I really thought that this was Charlotte at the top of her fucking game. Really and so Charlotte was, I mean, this, I think cemented Charlotte as the best in this current group. I think overall, like, and I, I only, I think that there are better workers in her, but I think that. She's been giving the most opportunities and she's taken the most advantage of them and she's gotten the most shine. 
Um, I think she's so towards for, the top. I think Oscar still understands Oscar, like who Oscar is, and then as well as like in the ring, I think she's kind of a cut above. But as far as like, especially WWE trained wrestlers, or even like the four horsemen or four horsewomen of WWE, she's I think standing at the top. Yeah, and I, I would say that this isn't purely based on in-ring work. It's like sort of accolades and everything she's achieved as well. Like it's really hard. I mean, she has what eight women's title reigns, two NXT now. Like it's she's just a crazy one. So what this match kind of reminded me of with Rhea coming out in the babyface gear, which I was kind of struck by at first. Like she, it really felt like she was trying to be someone who she wasn't. And then tonight on was, NXT television, I think it was a callback to her first gear. Which was an Android 18 gear from Dragon Ball Z, right? But I think, though, in that sense, if we are going to kind of analyze these, because I feel like this is a match where we kind of break down a little bit. I feel like, and especially after NXT television tonight, where all you saw from Rhea was her saying, she was better than I estimated. And I love that. I thought that that's all you needed. That's all she had to say. But to me, it kind of reminded me of Naito versus Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, where one guy comes into the match, like, Rhea's the Naito. All she has to do is be fucking Rhea, but the whole time, maybe she, like, I feel like maybe with the crowd, maybe she'd play up babyface elements when she should be trying to win because she's the new it girl. She's got the championship. She's got the big fucking title match against one of the top stars. But then she underestimated it all, and she kind of got fucking, yeah, she got beat. It reminded me more so, uh, not necessarily of that, like, or kind of trying to play the babyface. It reminded me of Abushi versus Tanahashi, where it's like, um... Just like you, like oh, you underestimate your ta- like the your opponent. They're like you know you're kind of the upstart. You're the the younger one, and you go in there like fuck. They're still better than me. So more so, not necessarily character wise, but maybe she. It's more so like um, work wise. It's like oh shit. Well, she's just as better than me. I got to get better, and like just wasn't ready for exactly what she is. And so like it reminded me of Abushi versus Tanahashi in that respect. Where it's like fuck, the master or the student hasn't surpassed the master just yet. Yeah, it was um, it was an awesome match. I'm excited to see what they do. Um, do you think Charlotte already drops the belt to Io? Uh, I think so because I think they're gonna. Uh, it was more so I think for a couple different things. Uh, you can kind of hot shot it. You can leave it for a month or two because it's more so like they didn't say it's gonna be next week or anything. So it'll be cool to build up. You don't want Charlotte to go to NXT like all the time. It's more so like have like a good month of TV. You can build off that. Yeah. And then like try to then catch everybody else with that month of TV, you know? I guess something that just is struck me away about this whole thing is that Hunter Triple H admitted that Vince was in control of this storyline involving the NXT Women's Championship, that Vince was the one who booked it. So obviously Vince did it to kind of get more viewers for NXT to put a main roster talent like they did with Finn. But it's like, see something in Rhea and like, want to like get her in front of people already. So that when she comes up full time, people already know who she is. Yeah. No. And this match gave her great shine, but I feel like they, first off, Charlotte doesn't gain any new viewers. So she doesn't pop ratings or anything like that. That's already been proven because the ratings these past few weeks have just been going down and down. She's been on the TV and then, No, but I mean, even before this, like when she had the match against Bianca, they still lost to AEW by almost 200,000 viewers. So why invest in this big project if it already had no returns before it even began? 
Um, and I think that the only like if Rhea doesn't win this title back from Charlotte, where the fuck does that leave Rhea then? So as much as I would love to see EO take it, it's like I feel like they've kind of booked themselves into a corner with this now. Because if, if you then bring Rhea back into the NXT fold, you can have a big journey with it. It doesn't have like in NXT especially, you don't get that instant gratification that a lot of people yearn for. You get the big, you get a little bit more longer-winded stories. You get development with that, and I think that's what you do. It's like she was just such like on the rise and then when she finally falls she has to actually build herself up like not right back to the top because that's not a that's not that good of a story it's more so like her having to go to the back of the line work her way back up maybe follow a couple more times and questioning who she is turning back heel stuff like that well, I guess um, I don't know I just I don't have much faith in the storylines at this point because like, I they, they... I really have not been enjoying NXT lately with the storylines. And I know that obviously things are happening in the world that are limiting the scope. But even going into TakeOver, like this Velveteen Dream storyline has been a complete shit show. With the booking, with the Roddy feud and everything. And then he locks himself in the cage. Like, it's just been really unfocused and un like just... Not NXT. It feels way more WWE lately. That one's the only one, and it, the reason it feels that is because Velveteen Dream is an NXT. He's a WWE character. He's all about that kind of stuff. And so anything involved with him always feels like that to me. Um, yeah, I would say that before this, like, there's something very different about who he is now. Like, when he's come back, there's been, a, to me at least, a definitive difference. And, like, he used to be really fun. He was, like, a vibrant sort of, like, alternative on this show. I would say that he kind of treaded the line between WWE and NXT pretty well. And now he just feels like this full-blown, like, he feels like a, a mockery of himself almost. And, it, like, there's just really no no clear vision. This storyline, because... He's obviously going to be the babyface because people, even when he was heel, just liked him. And so he has to do heel things because that's been his whole character the entire time. He's never yeah. ravered his character on that. He's always done heel things. From his feud with Ricochet, his feud with Aleister Black. Like everything he does has always been a heel that people just liked. So they keep going with his booking in that way because that's what got him over. And I guess it just, um, I guess I wish that they had the awareness to realize that it's not working here and to have changed it. And it seems that they tried to because they just completely were like, he's like, oh, I was just kidding about that shit. Now I'm doing this. And it's like, the tights were just a joke. And it was, it felt like some pretty lame retcon. I, I think it was more so just like they had a, a plan and then they just kind of realized it wasn't working. So they tried, okay, we're going to switch gears. And so it was more so like they read it, they switched gears, and then that's what they were going to go with. Is that title match next Wednesday? I don't know. I think so. Maybe. I hate lose, God. He loses, so it's fine. <laughs> Dream loses? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He has to. Adam Cole is... Yeah. Like... If, if Cole loses, I'll actually be so upset because he is like... Who takes the title off him? Cross? Who the fuck does it? Uh, I think Cross is going to enter a feud either with Johnny or fucking Tommaso. Johnny Candice? Yeah. It's going to be that or Tommaso, just because he was sitting there. All right. But, no, you can build up a lot of people to take it off. In NXT, people are always, like, right at that cusp, and it's just who you're going to build next. 
It's true. You just need one match, I mean, really. Honestly, um, Alistair Black. Keith Lee, Lee should have really lost that three-way, and then you can have him like as a next challenger. Dude, I used to love Keith Lee, and the more I see him on NXT, the less I like him. This like when he was talking to Dominic Dijakovic, and he's because it's like I think what Keith Lee does everything the same. The way he talks, like he wrestles a very specific match, he talks a very specific way, and he can't change that. So when he was having like this man-to-man conversation with Dijakovic, it was supposed to be like, "Hey, I respect you too," but it just sounded so fucking holier than thou, and so I'm better than you because it's just it's his cadence, it's the way he talks. And again, I was just like, man, like these guys need to start switching it up. And someone needs to tell them, like, this isn't working here. I like that. And again, like, maybe this is just me being fucking too hard because I, I work with actors all the time and shit. Minutes. I thought that was the best thing in the past month. Uh, um, I tried to watch it, then I just tapped out. Yeah, so if, if you haven't seen it yet, everyone, go check out Goshiyazaki versus, uh, Oh my god, Kazuyuki Fujita from Pro Wrestling yeah. Noah. They do a 32 minute stare down, then a 28 minute. Fight, it's one of the best matches of the year. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> and I like those um, next up, Chiyazaki's a beast. Dude, did you see? Did you watch the whole match or no? No, I, I, after this, like, I even skipped some of the stare down. After that, I was just like, oh, I'm done. Fujita does these fucking punts that are so nasty. And, like, by the end, Chiyazaki, his head is just welted. And I was like, holy shit. It was just. It felt like a fight. I don't know. I loved it. It was like, I felt like I wasn't supposed to be seeing this. And that was so alluring about it. I was like, this is closed doors. Like, this is how, like, really, like, important people settle feuds, I feel like. This is, um... I didn't like it, like, especially the stare-down stuff, because, like, in a real fight, that won't happen. And, like, then they kind of try to make it that real fight feel after. And it's like, oh, that's just, like, yeah, it wasn't that good to me. I loved it. Um, next up, we had Alistair Black defeating Bobby Lashley in 7 minutes and 20 seconds. And the second annual, we have to get this guy in the card match, so let's feed, let's feed Bobby Lashley to him. Um, I thought that it should have been on Raw, and it served no purpose. This was really just to get Black's name onto WrestleMania. They see something and, in um, him, and they want to keep him at the forefront without actually really going with him just yet. So, which is if that's the case, then why I understand why they booked the ending the way they did because they want to split up Lana and Bobby, but it didn't seem to put over Black in a strong way. It felt like he was about to lose, and the only reason he won is because he was saved by Lana. So, I didn't understand the point of creating this match for the sole reason of to put him on the card to not put him over completely clean. It was clean, clean as a sheet, but it was more so like, well, no, I mean, Bobby had him up. For the finisher, for the total eliminator or whatever. And then Lana goes, no, hit him with the spear. So he puts him down that's and then he gets hit and then the pin. Yeah, that's a clean win. Technically, it's like a distraction though. But I don't know. I think that's bullshit. It, to me, it didn't seem strong. It, it didn't feel strong. It felt like Black got lucky. Strong, but it was clean as a sheet with this move. And I think... Clean as a sheet. It was, it, what it did was I think in their heads, they're like, he's tough enough where he withstood all that, was about to be beat, but then still hit the kick. Like, it's more so trying to get over his finish can be hit at any point in time, whether he's dead or alive, and then he can always win with it. It's. I think that the Black Mass is going to become, like, the new fucking Sweet Chin music if they book him right. Yeah. Because it's, like, it's that perfect finisher to just come out of nowhere. Yeah. And I think um, that's kind of what they, after... like, the story they're trying to tell is that, like, no matter what, he's always going to be in the fight as long as he can hit that. Yeah. Um... 
Next up, we had Otis defeating Dolph Ziggler in 8 minutes and 15 seconds. What a... I feel like I've said this word a lot tonight, but horse shit of a match. That was fun. I don't know what you're <laughs> expecting out of this. No, I mean, it's just like... God. Like, WWE okay, never so... lets the good guy win and never lets the like the good guy get the girl. And he did all that in front of a crowd. It would have popped everybody. It's weird in front of no crowd. Um, but the good... This whole match just felt so weird. I think... Like, won. I would have... I would have put this match off until they come back because it just did not work. Like the kiss at the end was so goddamn awkward because like I told you this on the phone the other day because like when you're acting, right, some actors, they go for that long sustained kiss. And then other actors, like if you, you know, they'll do the pecking, you're feeling it, whatever, they'll, they'll do some movement. Mandy just tried to sustain this kiss for as long as she could without having to do anything else. And Otis just starts chomping at her. And I was like, this poor woman does not want to be doing this right now. There's a pandemic going on and she's having to kiss this random man in a ring. Um, I felt like this is something that you could have delayed, especially with the inclusion of perhaps Ali into this feud now. I think that this is something that could have been put off past Mania to a SummerSlam. I don't think there's any they, reason that this had to happen now. way too early for them to put it off now. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's they're the kings of creating shit. They literally put Braun Strowman into a world title. Triple H said, watch on Friday. We're going to have a whole new angle. The angle was Michael Cole announcing Braun Strowman in the match. Yeah, they, they can cut, do whatever they the, the fuck they want. Yeah, I mean, they can do whatever they well, want. Yeah, so I, I feel like they could have extended you this. whatever you want. Yeah, but I know. If you think about it, this, this one way, just did not work in the empty arena. Yeah, of course. That wasn't going to work out well in the empty arena. The match was fine. Like, they started this back in fucking December with Christmas because it started with that fruitcake from Otis's mom. You don't, yeah. you don't want an eight month fucking. Uh, this fucking Otis. feud is booked longer than the main event feuds of WrestleMania. Strowman is a 24 hour feud. Lesnar and McIntyre started at Rumble. And Becky and Baszler started after or like after the Rumble Elimination Chamber. Yeah. So Otis and Dolph is the longest booked match in yeah, WrestleMania. How fucking crazy you don't is that? Have that um, extend till summer. So it's like nine months. You could just take them both off TV and people wouldn't care. But, but, like, then, but, then, <laughs> but then when you try to heat it back up, people are like, oh, why are they going back to this where they didn't even have a finish last time? It's a double-edged uh, sword. Well, I mean. I, there's going to be so many people they're heating up once this shit thinks we're not going to have the United States Championship on TV probably for a while. Like, there's going to be hitting up random people left and right. We're going to see some wacky shit, I think. Think about Apollo Crews just had a 27-minute match on and Raw. so we should be thankful for them being able to still complete a story. And like, hey, we're going to see a story through that isn't just going to be random. Yeah, I don't know. I guess just, uh, again, I think, like, they're not thinking long term they're just trying to get shit done right now and i think that you have to think long term in a this situation one, like this, this. Needed to be wrapped up though like five months of television yeah i don't know again i think that you could have just taken it off because there's so much that has been taken off like austin theory got randomly inserted a match there's so much shit that's just been happening like yeah, so, there's no reason why this had to happen so what, why stop something that least you could have done sense. tucker versus dolph on the pre-show but, but, and just done that but, again but, but, but like that we get we get like one story that's actually been a flowing story. Why have why turn that into random chaos when you at least have one story, especially on SmackDown, which is fucking needed it. I mean, I would say that this storyline is random chaos at this point. With I mean, 
it took them six months to like point out the fact that Sonya isn't a good friend. It's just been, it's, I mean, it's a six month storyline that could have been told in fucking two weeks too. So I'm not trying to give them that much credit here, but um, don't I don't know. Don't I just, <laughs> I don't give them any credit. Um, next up, speaking of horse shit, Edge defeating Randy Orton in 36 minutes, 35, uh, 36 minutes, 35 seconds. I thought this was, and we talked about this. This is like, Two artists who you really respect and you go to see their new movie and it's they tried their best. They gave really good performances, but the script just wasn't there. And you're like the story just it was it. The movie's too long. I don't know this like it had good components. I can say this match was worked hard. I appreciated the ending. I thought Edge's emotions were really good. But man, this like and I know that you liked it and you're going to say your thing. But to me, this was um this was still, I think, better than Champa and Gargano, and I did not like this. Oh, I, that, that's also not correct. Champa and Gargano, I liked a lot more. <laughs> uh, I liked this though, especially the first like few minutes, and then the last few minutes I thought were really good. They definitely didn't need to have them brawl around as much as they did. Um, I think Wendy in our group chat was talking about like have just a normal match, but like feuds like this, you can't have a normal match because then it makes zero fucking sense. Um, these guys like going in there and after like Randy hitting his wife, like hitting Edge's wife, yeah. trying to end his career again that just came back. You can't go in there and run fucking headlocks like or the Triple H did at Mania twenty five. Yeah. And um I just think that there are other match steps besides Last Man Standing that can have that big fight I feel. I think they though. were trying to um, make up for not having a crowd by having that because you can go have a brawl. I think the stipulation is really what held it back because you get rid of like the 30 fucking 10 seconds that they have to wait and all the waiting and asking. Oh my God. I'll take the fucking, I will take so many 10 second counts over 10 commercial breaks during a single match. That's just, I like, I, I I feel like I can't really, I know. I feel like you can't, I feel like I can't even begin to comment on champion Gargano because I don't even know what the fuck happened because there was so many disruptions that there was just no rhythm. Like they're on top of a truck and then we come back. Well, no, I mean like they're on a truck like, I hate these fake fucking cuts that they're doing so much on TV. Like, we obviously know all these matches are taped. But every single time we leave, we come back from commercial. Like, the women's ladder match, all of a sudden there's six ladders in the ring. We come, we, we Gargano and Ciampa, they're on top of a truck. We come back from commercial, so, they're walking back into the building. And it's well, like... On TV shows, you have to take yourself out of the... Like, I know these are taped, like... You know what's what's going on. It's kind of like you have to suspend your disbelief. We know they're taped, but I'm saying that they're not filling the gaps well, for exactly, us either. Like they're not filling anything. If you think about it, with how they're trying to shoot, how they're trying to present the show, everything is still going on while it's on commercial. Like the match doesn't just stop. Like it's supposed to keep. Going. No, and so like exactly. But so they're trying to give the illusion of being live. But there's no reason for them to because everyone knows it's taped. And the thing is that when they come back from being live, they're on top of a truck. I'm super interested in what's going to happen here. We come back and now these two guys are just walking. What the fuck just happened on this massive truck spot? You just made me spend seven minutes watching and now there's no payoff for that. Fuck that. Straight up. Like, it's just, I think it's really, really poor scripting. And it's them being too obsessed with trying to, it's like Vince having the two out of three falls thing. It's just stupid fucking Vince-isms. And there's no reason for there to be these big bricks bricks but when you come back to aw they show you a replay of what you missed in the commercial break they don't do that in nxt they don't i mean again it's if you're gonna it's like 
But the thing is that, so they're filming these segments, right? So they're on top of the truck. Then they yell, cut. Then they start. There's no match from there to yeah. when they're walking back but into the, I mean, the they, building. They stop, so they stop filming matches like on SmackDown. They just go into a rest hold or do whatever. It's like they're really trying to do stuff. But even then, like they always try to say, hey, there's always stuff that's going on. And I, I think so. Just, but in, I think you're looking at it and like you already know it's taped. I know it's taped. And you just have to think about it. It's still supposed to be the it's a fake fight. And it's the illusion of it's always going. Yeah, but the thing is that there's nothing happening in the commercials because they're not showing us. And if they showed us stuff in the commercial after the commercials, I wouldn't mind it because then I'd be like, okay, this is what I missed. But the thing is that they're just skipping without giving you any fucking idea of what's happening. It's really poor structure. I, I, I disagree a lot. And I think it's more so, again, like I think I look at things a little differently than what you do on there. More so probably indicative yeah. of how like you're a movie guy and you think that um, – with how everything should be shot and everything kind of should be shown right there. Whereas I think of it more so like as, especially with these things, like with the wrestling, like like things have always happened in the breaks. And like, yes, I wonder sometimes and sometimes they show, sometimes they don't. But for me, it's like, oh, this is just something that's supposed to be going on. So I'll suspend my disbelief that I know it's taped. That I know that Hunter's there like, all right, cut. All right, get off the truck. All right, cool. Are you okay, Johnny? Tommaso, you good? All right, cool. You know, you're back in the ring and you have a chair for some reason. Like, I, put, <laughs> I try to turn that brain off on a lot of things because if not, then you just it, you end up being a little overly it's, critical on things. And it, then it just... No, and it's not so much... It's not so much about even seeing through all, like, the smoke in the mirrors. Is like, you know, when you watch a movie and then at the end the character wakes up and the whole thing's been a dream. And it's like, okay, why would you make me invest an hour of my time into something that had absolutely no consequence whatsoever? That truck spot was this big setup. It was a set piece. And then they did nothing with it. And it was never mentioned again. And we did not see how that ended. So it's like, if I'm going to go see something, because these commercial breaks, what they're doing is that they're disrupting in a negative way. It's like, well, there's the, like, I'm watching AEW. Well, no. No, absolutely. But I'm saying like when you come back from commercial, show us what fucking happened during the commercial so that we can bridge this gap right here. But what happens is that we come back. There's just a gap. And now I have to try to get back into this match that I have absolutely no connection to now. And I think it's working again. Like it's hard to work with those commercials. We know that. And it's like um, but then I think that like. The other side is I thought that Apollo Crews and Aleister Black match was a fucking four-star plus match the other night, and that had three commercials. But every time they came back, I was immediately right back fucking into it. They had heat, they had tension, and they showed you what happened. It's because I also think that this is a little bit more in tune to more of the wrestling that you watch. Because like you said, oh, this reminded me of a G1 match, and you were super into the G1. That's something that you were invested in. I love the G1. And you you like tournament style. You like... It's like a very certain style of match they were having. And for you, you're like, oh, I resonate with that. Whereas... Okay. Yes, but I also gave the Big Show versus Drew McIntyre four stars. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> what usually resonates with you. No, no, no. I know. I know. I, you'll, you'll say, like, especially like the 30-minute, like, just stare down. Like, to me, I, I don't like that. I watch a lot of combat sports. I grew up in combat sports. To me, I'm like, oh, they sit, stare at each other, then try to have a f- real fight, quote unquote, for like after just doing that. Whereas, like in a real fight, somebody's gonna start throwing blows, and yeah. and then like the Tommaso and Johnny thing, which we can get into later. Like, I just thought it was a lot different, and I really enjoyed it. But Edge and Orton again, I think the first 
parts of it were good. Last parts of it were good. You can cut out ten minutes in the middle. Nobody would have known. Oh my god! And I think that I still laugh every time I think about Edge climbing onto the little chain link fence above the boardroom table and then dropping like a two foot elbow drop was, off of it. Like I like that because that's just like something weird and different and kind of quirky. It's it was so weird and different, but I was like, these poor fucking guys were walking in this room. They're like, all right, you got ten minutes in this room, and Edge is like. What the fuck? Like, okay. Also, I love on his documentary, which you need to watch if you haven't. Um, I need to. You may not like it. It's WWE. Ooh, burn. Oh. <laughs> Got him. Um, no, it was really, really good. I think everybody will enjoy it. Um, but like, he's like, I, you know, I'm not gonna be falling off ladders. Not gonna be doing all that. He fucking jumped off a ladder, even though there's a crash bed. It's like, dude, you fucking overshoot that a little bit, and like you're back on the shelf. Like, why even put yourself in a situation where there could be a margin for error that could end your career again? He's just, dude, he's fucking riding that motorcycle with no helmet with Seamus, baby. He's just, <laughs> he's, he's living on the edge. He's living on the edge! Oh, my God. That's, now I get the name. Wow. Okay, next up we have the Street Profits defeating Angel Garza and Austin Theory in the I Can't Believe This Happened match in 6 minutes and 20 seconds. It was a raw match. Who cares? It was completely just a raw match. Um, Bailey defeating Lacey Evans, Naomi, Sasha Banks, and Tamina. I was fucking cracking up in 19 minutes and 20 seconds, cracking up at Brian Alvarez completely calling this match on Twitter before it aired. Um, I think he was just like, they're going to all team up on Tamina. Tamina gets knocked out. The Heat gets put on Naomi, or Naomi. She gets next. Then Sasha, then Lacey, and Bailey, And, like, he just fucking called it. And I was like, this was exactly what you expect was, from an elimination WWE match. She did the salute that she was going to win. Oh, dude, I was afraid when Bailey did the salute to Lacey. Because I was like, they're not going to let her taunt her with the salute, then let her win. And then they did, and I was really happy yeah, about it. I, just, cause, like, I thought it was going to, like, yeah, I just, you never know with Lacey. And so. Imagine a, imagine a whole live crowd going like this. <laughs> just saluted at the same time um alright so after that we had the Fiend Bray Wyatt defeating John Cena in the Firefly Fun Firefly Funhouse match in 13 minutes I'll keep this short the reason I told I told Brady the reason I like this so much is that I think that in WWE we invest years and years of our lives watching this product and a lot of the time we are not rewarded for that level of attention and I think that this felt like such a deep dive into their history, into their archive, into their characters, that it felt like, hey, if you've been paying attention for the past 20 years, here's this. And what I loved is that, you know, let's think of uh, a film like Logan with the Wolverine. For 20 years, we saw the Wolverine just as the Wolverine, a hero that can do no wrong. We saw John Cena for 20 years as John Cena, a guy that can do no wrong. Both this film and this segment, both that film and this segment sort of become a reflexive lens in the sense that now we see the nuances to these people. We see the shades of the individual versus just the super heroic. And um, I don't know. I really, really loved it. It was, like everyone said, essentially Twin Peaks meets WWE, and I can't believe I'm saying that. But um, this was an incredibly, I thought, deep piece of media and fiction. I, I loved it. It was it's, it, it, I don't, it's great. Uh, um, 
as far as I sh- when you get move forward into wrestling, it's not going to be great going forward. Not the actual piece itself, but just like storyline wise, like we've talked about already. Like where does the fucking fiend yep. go? But like when you look at this in just the context of John Cena and Bray Wyatt, and then the evolution that you saw of John Cena and kind of adding that character depth, this actually I think did a lot for John Cena, not as much for Bray Wyatt. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it was essentially like, a John... Like, having, like, like you would think that this would lead to John Cena, like, going into, like, a giant storyline and all this, like, questioning everything he's done, questioning who he is, and for the next year just wandering around lost and aimless, being like, who am I? Who is John Cena now? Like, because everything that... Every show, it's just the 24-7 geeks run in, and then Cena walks in after them, and he's just like, I don't know. It's like, really weird introspective John Cena, just like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Like, I built, like, my whole career for 20 years on this, and I can't even look back and say that I was ever me. And, like, it can really play into... Then he comes out and says, oh, I know who I am, like, the next year at Mania, whereas, like, this, he's obviously gonna go be a fucking Hollywood star, and Bray Wyatt's the one that has to move forward. And so now it's like, well, where does Bray go? Because you can't give him the title because it fucks the title. Like, who does he fight, on, especially on SmackDown? I don't think there's... So The Fiend, too, is like he's just in big feuds, right? There's no more top guys left. There was Roman. That was it. Um, I can't see... The only other guy is Braun. Um, they, they can't, you can't like, put the what, title what? on him and you can't beat Braun. Like, you can't beat The Fiend by Braun, so you're fucked. I think what you do at this point is you just take the fiend off TV for the foreseeable. Like, there's no the like, no one is clamoring for more fiend matches right now. I think that this was like this this was a storyline that felt like boom, this is done right here. Like, Cena's gone for now. The fiend has some sort of inner peace, maybe for a moment. Who knows? So I don't think that we need anything from they, either of these guys right now. And I think that they can stay off TV. Yeah, no, I think Bray needs to. Um... Even as Funhouse Bray, I think if they would have, they did a, a disservice to him by having the Fiend show up as much as he did. Um, they've done a disservice to like having the Funhouse guy show up as much as he did after he initially got super over. Because as an attraction, as like Undertaker back, like when he was just wrestling twice, like once or twice a year, it's cool to see it then. But then when you, when Undertaker started showing up a little bit more, and you're like, oh fuck, I don't want to see this poor old dead guy. Uh, give me the magic guy yeah. once every few months. When something means something. Yep. Watch the fiend get put in the goddamn money in the bank match. I don't. And... I don't think they're going to give him the title again because <laughs> that just books him in. A... No, I mean I just imagine the fiend with the briefcase. <sighs> just a head. Right. Oh. All right. Then we had Drew McIntyre defeating Brock Lesnar in four minutes and thirty-five seconds in the the penultimate match of WrestleMania, the almost main event. It was a Paul Heyman match. One thousand percent. That yeah. works in front of a crowd. I was, doesn't work as much, not in front of a crowd. I was really, really disappointed by this, and I um, this was probably one of my most anticipated matches of the evening, and I was excited to see two big men just beat the fuck out of each other, and instead we got literally play by play the same match as we did the night before, but two minutes longer. I think also if you put this in front of a crowd, they'll go out and have that match. Brock Lesnar's not going to work like that for, like, nobody. He's going to go out there, do his job, put the guy over, and leave. Yeah, and, um, I don't know, I, I've, the, the rumors say that he was apparently super unhappy to have to fly out and do this all in the middle of the pandemic or whatever, because he lives out in Canada, um, 
But I think that, you know, he sold he sold so fucking well for Drew. He put him over big time. I think that's awesome. I just wish that we got to see more match. Like, he is such, like, one of the most underrated sellers. Because, like, when he, like, gets hit and, like, is supposed to be, like, hit and hurt, like, he, like, turns fucking, like, purple. He's there breathing hard. It's also, I think, part of being a fighter is that he knows how your body actually reacts when you get hit. So... He, like, it, like, it shows. That's, uh, yeah, like Rousey said. She said it's really easy to sell because she knows what it's like to get beat yeah, up. exactly. And that's why I think yeah. she actually sold really well. That was, like, one of her best things. She's a great fucking because seller. Like, yeah. Oh, when you get hit in the face, this is how actually your body reacts. <laughs> <laughs> um, now on to Monday Night Raw. Just a brief recap. Asuka defeating Liv Morgan in 11 minutes and 10 seconds. I thought this match was fantastic. Yeah. Or not fantastic, but this was a this was a surprisingly good it was match. A surprising like three star match. Yeah, this was uh I think that Liv is someone I'm really, really excited. I think that Liv and Bianca both have pretty high stocks, like they're high ceilings. I think that they're only gonna get, continue to get better. And I think that most importantly is that they're both super fucking eager got, to get I got better. Two so. names that I'm gonna bring up that say otherwise when you call people up. That's David Brooke and Nia Jax. I think Bianca needs a bit more seasoning, and I think Liv always needed more seasoning. Yeah. No, um, I think uh... then she got called up and then put in like that Charlotte thing, and then she's been dead in the water ever since. And this was holy shit! I forgot they teamed her up with Charlotte. That was like fucking four years ago or whatever, and like she was getting better in NXT. And then now she's finally, you're finally seeing it now. Whereas if you leave her in NXT for another year or two, she'd be way beyond that. Yeah. Nia Jax is another one. Yeah, they it's, uh, and, like, she fucking sucks still. Oh my God. I'm so bummed that she's back. I am like, I'm praying that she's not going to be, I mean, well, like, what the fuck does she do right now? Because Becky's feuding with Shayna. So they're just going to build up Nia. And then when Shayna beats Becky, then it's going to be Shayna versus Nia, and then Nia's going to be a face. Like, what the they fuck? Might just uh, hold off the Shayna one until SummerSlam, and then I could do, do uh, like Nia versus Becky because Vince knows. Oh my Vince god! Knows one thing, and that's you build a giant to for the baby face, baby face to slay, and that's what they're going to do. Shayna on her promo on Raw, they like she's someone that needs to be able to just talk how she talks because when she reads scripts, she reads fucking scripts and it's so bad. The, the agony in defeat, like that was just horrible. Her voice. Oh, but, um, yeah, I was, it felt like, I don't know, but, um, then we, yeah, we had Alistair black defeating Apollo Cruz in legitimately 27 minutes and five seconds. That's fucking insane. Yeah. That was really good. That's awesome. I loved this match. Um, it reminded me of here's to hoping... and Alistair Black from a, like a few months ago. And like they just let him go like 20-something minutes and just like, all right, fucking go. Put on a fucking so match. Go, I think that. that this is – see, like so Isai and I were talking last week about how we thought, you know, WWE could totally do a G1-style tournament right now leading up to SummerSlam or whatever because with shows like Money in the Bank – like without the with the exception of money in the bank because it has like an actual effect on the timeline and stories right like let's say it's money in the bank in may and then june and july are like no way out and fucking Roadblock, end of the line. uh backlash right 
yeah, backlash, you know, roadblock in the line, backlash or whatever. It's like you don't need to actually do those pay-per-views, right? Because you're not fucking selling them. If it's in an empty arena, you can just put those matches on TV. So you don't really need to build these things. So what I suggested was like, why not do a goddamn tournament round robin style with just Florida based guys for the most part? They can go and fill all their matches, and then you have three months worth of television with minimal promos, minimal angles, just amazing in ring work to get people over. Like if you had Apollo Cruz on here once every couple weeks doing matches like this, I guarantee you would start to get a following. But the problem is that. And this is where I hope that something actually happens with this match is that how many times have we seen Apollo Crews in this match and in this position where he has switched brands and he's eager for opportunity? It's yeah, like so four fucking times now. What's going to really help guys like Apollo Crews and what's helped guys like Drew Gulak is that like there's none of that time of them going out in front of fans and the fans not reacting because I think that's what turns Vince off by like week three. He's like, oh, why aren't they fucking loving this guy? Ike, he's been out there and he's won decisively the last few weeks. I'm going to pull the plug because obviously they don't like him. Where it just takes a while for fans to kind of like figure it out because the guy's been booked like a geek for a while. Then you try to heat him up and they're like, okay, I thought this guy was a geek. But then he cools off. Whereas if you go, you know, four, five, six weeks later, they start getting a reaction. Not everybody's going to be like Angel Garza who has like that untangible quote unquote it factor. Yeah. Oh my God. Totally. Whereas he, um, like, you have to build guys. Like, Umberto Carrillo, they kept building him and building him and building him. And finally, he was, like, starting to hit. They paired him with Ray. And that's, like, something that, that they've done more so with Heyman now is they're letting guys go out there and let's not get a reaction for a few weeks. But then keep going, keep pushing, keep pushing. Because then after a while, oh, the fans are warming up because then they know who this guy is. And that's in a better exactly. so guys like Cruz. And I hope that, you know, guys like Cruz continue to get shine on this time where there is no fans. And then hopefully that we get, you know, accustomed to these characters and warm up to them so that when there are people back in arenas that these people are getting pops now. That would be fucking awesome. And you have to imagine how rabid and hungry are crowds going to be when they're back in arenas. They're going to be fucking ridiculous. They're going to be so pumped up. So the thing is that build new stars now because they're going to have that much more new fans seeing them for like the first real time. Because after WrestleMania is when the summer months and like the spring months is when you get um, kind of the B feuds and trying to push new guys. That's where you get the genders. Jesus Christ. Baron Corbin and Lacey fucking Evans. You get the genders as champions. You get a little bit more of the experiments. You don't have to go to your Goldbergs, Lesnar's, whatever it may be. Yeah. It's more so. That's why you'll see like the team we got Ricochet and Cedric Alexander teaming together against Oni and Danny Burch. And it's like, cool, you can build these guys and show them on TV in front of nobody. These guys are super exciting. They flip. They're fast. They're quick. It's a great... When you bring a crowd into them, now they'll be like, oh shit, these guys are cool to watch. I'm excited to see them. I am. I'm really excited to see what they do. My, again, like, and I'm just thinking WWE mind right now, but it's like Street Profits are huge baby faces. So I feel like Ricochet and Cedric aren't getting a shot, at least until those titles change hands, unless something happens. It would be cool to give them an edge. They, if anyone has a, a reason to be pissed off and turn heel and become like a badass, it's Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. Cedric, yes. Ricochet, no. 
Ricochet got beat up by Lesnar, treated like a geek, and then he lost on main event the next week. He has, like, used that in his storyline. Like, I fucking had the match of my life, and then I nothing happened. He had, can totally be frustrated, man. Yeah, but not as much as Cedric by far. And also, Ricochet had the highest winning percentage on Raw last year. So it's not like he was... Really? Huh. These are, these are, uh, that's cool. These, Good these for him. things that... Like, people always say, oh, he's buried. The burial was definitely losing to Riddick Moss. That wasn't good. Um, but the Lesnar thing, that was just what it was. It was just a means to an end. Yeah. Um, you want to do NXT real yeah. quick? All right. Opens up with the women's ladder match. Um, my first thought was, apparently some people get upset about Brody Lee playing like a Vince McMahon type character. And I'm like, that's so fucking stupid because WWE's been doing this Robert Stone character for months, and it's obviously Tony Khan, and they did it first. So it's yeah. like they're like, why are they making fun of us? And it's just he debuted. He was doing that character on the floor loop. This has just been his character, like since he signed. Yeah. Really, dude, he totally feels like a fucking Tony Khan ripoff. No, like he was for some reason teamed with fucking. It was Riddick Moss and Dan Matha like on the Florida loop for a long time. And, like, there was also a, like, one of those PC videos they do on YouTube that, like, followed him around and, like, talking about getting signed. And he was that guy. Like, that's just who he is. I don't, you know what's really funny? It's the last fucking time I saw this guy was since tonight. The last time I saw him was against Robbie G. The bromance? It fucking TNA. Yeah, it was, like, Robbie G versus Robbie E. And I was like maybe six years ago, yeah, six seven years ago. For a while, and I think one of the reasons why people get mad at AEW and uh, Brody Lee doing that is I'm just tired of the stupid pot shots. We get it. Like Vince didn't like you. Yeah. Like, get in fucking line with every other wrestler. Like I'm just sick of that narrative. Like it's like if you're gonna be an alternative and try to be different, like it, it's really bush league to just throw pot shots. It's oh. very WCW. Um, I loved all the women's entrances for the most part. Dakota, Mia, Io, Candice, they all have really diverse and effective entrances that I think really top the main rosters. Like I was – because I haven't been watching much NXT lately and I was really taking it back. Like Io, Mia, and Dakota all have very fucking fleshed out entrances. Like just – there, you know exactly who these people are once their music hits and you see the video. Like, it's just, it's all there. Um, I didn't really like the first two segments of this. Like I said, I thought that, the like, for me, I was like, this is going to be the litmus for Money in the Bank. And because I thought that they really worked the ladder match well at Mania. I was really excited for this. It just felt like people trying to do a wrestling match for the first two segments. I liked the third and final one. I thought that was good. Um, here I even started seeing commercials affecting the overall match quality. Um, it's because yeah, final. So I, I I talked to Jenna about this. It's because it's labeled as a takeover match. They have takeover on the thing. You go in there thinking I'm gonna get my takeover match. There's no breaks. It's all action. It's this, this, and this. But then it's on TV, so it's it's automatically gonna be that. Like you're, we're destined to feel that way because of the presentation, which they shouldn't have done. Even though it was a takeover match, and what else are they gonna do? I, mean, I guess they could do, just put it on as a special. But I mean. That, I guess like I think that's why that people are feel, have that feeling because it's more so like you expect this to be takeover, which you get those thirty minute classics, 
uninterrupted instead of 30 minutes, but with like eight minutes gone for TV and for commercials. Yeah. I guess for me, it was like, I didn't see for me, like when I wa- when I was watching this, I was like, there's no reason this has to be a ladder match. I would have rather have seen like a six pack challenge or an elimination match. So I think that that would have been more interesting storyline wise and would have been a better use of TV time, I guess, because it was like five people. Exactly. And I mean, you can beat all five of these people in different ways. Like who cares if Chelsea Green takes another pin? Candice can lose again to EO in the final moments. Me and Dakota can go out through some bullshit means. Same with Tegan. It's like, but then you run into doing too many bullshit means running a lot of stuff. Whereas a ladder match, you don't necessarily have losers. You have a winner. And, I don't know. I just thought that also, this was built for ta- this was built for a takeover. And... Yeah, and I, I again, it's just like for me, and considering these empty arena matches, I felt like the ladder match was the wrong move because it just it felt so deflated and it felt very um, minimized. Like this isn't as big as it could be, and, the, and I think that when you can see big. those limitations and constraints, no, I know, but it's like why do matches like last man standing and ladder matches that illustrate and illuminate those limitations when you could be doing other matches that obviously are way better for this environment? So again, I think that they're trying to give us what we were going to get, and they're trying to say, hey, we know this is different, but like here's the match that we we're trying to do. This is the entertainment we want to bring you. Yeah. I mean, they, they do that, but then they give us Austin Theory at Mania. So I think that they're just trying to get this shit done. I, I disagree. Um, so, <laughs> I, we always disagree. I appreciate you. I appreciate <laughs> our conversations. Um, speaking of bullshit time fillers, the Finn Balor segment, which was almost 15 minutes. I enjoy it because I don't watch UK as much as I should. So actually, I liked it. Uh, God damn it. One of these days I'm going to get you to not like something. Um, I, again, I've, I've talked about this with you before. I put on different glasses for different shows. I watch New Japan expecting the best fucking work rate, the best fucking like in-ring action, great in-ring storytelling. I expect that from them, and I get that from them. I go to WWE. I don't expect to see fucking... Kota Ibushi versus Kajichiko Okada. I know I'm not going to get that. Yeah, but... It's a different... The only a, thing, too, is I think, it's like... It's a different world. It's a different brand of wrestling. Yeah, and I think that it's, like... I always refer to WWE as the Disney of wrestling. They don't make films. They don't make wrestling. They make their interpretation of it. But at the same time, I'm never going to settle. I'm always going to hold them to higher expectations because I know that they are capable of it. Michaels versus Flair, they're capable of really good fucking storytelling moments, and they can do it. The thing is, like, in UFC, when you have brilliant fights, it's because these people brought their all. In WWE, if you wanted, you could have a fucking five-star match with your roster every month, but they choose not to because it's the way that they book things. So I'll always fight and clamor for them to do a better job because I the thing is that I know they're capable and that they don't do it because of their limitations and those people in charge. So I'll always fucking uh, mouth off about it, I suppose, because it's uh, I want a better product. Because um, I, I feel like... It's more so that... Oh, no, yeah. have to understand it's not that they aren't capable of doing things like that. It's that there's a guy at the top that doesn't want to he has a different vision his vision made him a fucking billionaire and so it's like fuck well just crazy and so 
Yeah, it's just, I'll, I guess I, I'm not going to sit there and be like, I appreciate this because it's their version or so. Like, I'm still going to hold it to the yeah. same expectations as I do everything I, else. I, I, I have different expectations for, like, different shows. Like, I don't watch a, a GCW show to be enthralled by a lot of things. I expect it to be a car crash. Oh, what? It's the, dude, I think, honestly, the best two shows of this year will be the Acid Cup. The GCW to me I honestly is think... fine. It's cool to watch, but it's... Like I never like remember a lot after it. Like it's it's a. I'm actually um, for this show I was gonna start doing um a couple a week, just brief recaps of old GCW shows in order from the beginning to now because I've been watching them all and man they're fucking it's all of these deathmatch guys have aged twenty years in the past oh, five years and it's crazy how much their lexicon has evolved like watching these guys in 2015 at the first Nick Age Invitational. All they can talk in is slurs, and now they're like, Welcome to GCW, a place for all understanding and acceptance. And it's just like, what the yeah. fuck? This company changed so much. Um, yeah, uh, so then we had the tag match, into Share versus Everrise. Man, when you see Malcolm Bivens come out, and after Robert Stone, it's day and fucking night. Like, Malcolm Bivens is a manager, and he is going to... Like, he is going to be successful in this company. Robert Stone came out. This guy is so fucking flat. He talks like a geek. Like, he just... he It doesn't seem like he's playing a character. It just seems like he's reading something. Bivens comes out. He's fucking smiling. Him getting the shit-eating grin in between uh, Rinku and Sarav with, uh, Sarav was so, like, just a great shot. And it completely illustrated who yeah, he is. because they're two different. Like, they're, like, I think they're supposed to be two opposite ends of the spectrum. Like... Robert Stone's supposed to be, like, kind of like this, like, up-his-own-ass, like, quote-unquote influencer, and then there's fucking shitty, like, like Twitter-fingers-ass Malcolm Bivens, who I think one of the reasons why people know who he is is he does a great job of his character in any aspect of media that he does. He's just a cut above. Yep. It's just, it's the performance. Yep. He is. He, um, he is one of those guys that can one of those people that can absolutely sell his persona on in the ring on social media and in interviews wherever he can always it's uh he, he's fucking great and um i loved the ever rise guy chanting defense i thought that was fucking hilarious um he was just like defense and just like it was so sad and like just watching these guys get they're, beat up they're was fantastic um, geeks because they're both super yeah they're they're really the good they can work they can get a little bit of fire and then they get beat. Yep. Um, I liked how Rinku and uh, Sarev tagged by hitting arms instead of slapping hands. Overall, I just felt like, God damn it, I'm going to have to watch these big guys try to wrestle for the no, next six months. You, you won't. And I wasn't really stoked. It's going to be like Authors of Pain. They're going to go in there and bump the small guys, and it's going to be fine. Just wait. Okay. Would you say that Authors of Pain were better than these guys when they started or no? Worse. Worse? Greener than fucking huh. goose shit. Okay. Then I'm excited because I think they're pretty damn good now. So. Yeah, author, yeah no, they, they understood their characters. And this is, like, that's why Authors of Pain, when you look back, that's why they worked in NXT. It's cause they also, the shit Jesus. Of, um, all these small guys who just bumped super hard and they couldn't work. They were fucking dangerous. But they were two big guys and it was just, it's something different in NXT. And they also had a cool manager, Paul Ellering. This is a different style of cool ma- manager, Malcolm Bivens. I think you got some good chemistry. I think it'll be cool. Yeah. Um, 
Also, poor authors of pain. I feel like every NXT tag team is cursed. One guy comes up, American Alpha, Jordan gets injured or whatever. <laughs> Fucking uh, authors of pain, Razor gets injured. Uh, Revival, Dawson gets in. Like, Jesus Christ, these guys can't catch a fucking break. End up like with um, out, the, out the gate, too. Yeah, exactly. Like, they were just teaming up with Seth. Like, yep. Um, oh my god, so real quick, the fucking team bad call out the reference during the the fatal five elimination. I was like, dude, imagine this in front of an audience, like. I just feel like it would have been like what because Brian Alvarez couldn't even remember what they were trying to reference. Like the the, the fucking every radio show I listened to didn't even remember who Team well, Bad they was. Need to be better at their history. Yeah. Team um, versus Team Bella versus Team Bad. Remember when they were called the Submission Sorority, but then they had to change the name because it was the name of a fucking porn yeah. site. And so I'm just saying. Yeah, it was hilarious. They're complaining that they don't remember, but then they complain that they never do callbacks. Maybe they're the fucking problem. <laughs> exactly. I remember Team Bad. Well, um, I'm just gonna go on a quick tangent because Jenna told me that earlier, and it's like okay, like if you don't remember stuff like that's on you and then you get mad when you say well Vince thinks you're not going to remember well obviously you don't so then why are you mad about like them not remembering things <laughs> it's like pick yeah. one and go with it yeah I agree um, Adam Cole promo just an Adam Cole promo is good it's fine the, building up the dream match the <laughs> I'm happy that we kind of maybe got to see the pool in this one last week it was poolside this time it looked like pool house um, Rhea and Charlotte replay Rhea like I said her saying she was a little bit better than I was I love that but dude like they shot this so they're shooting this at the performance center right Yeah. they go back and watch that they shot this in the noisiest goddamn environment that they possibly there's like fucking construction equipment going off there's like beeping there's so much noise and then like Rhea whispers like she's a little bit better and I was like you can't just take her to a fucking room for five minutes and film this be like like a sports interview, it's supposed to be real. It's supposed to be like this is the environment right after they're done. Like, yeah, put her in the locker room though. You don't need her in the backstage area next to all the equipment. Like, you can just feign it. It's wrestling. It's fake. It was just. It's again. It's it's, it's something that I'm gonna nitpick because there's no reason why a billion dollar company should have interviews like this where you can almost not hear the fucking well, I mean, interview. In the XFL, they had interviews right on the field and like while they're trying to play the game. So it's. They, they do that in sports. It's like right after, like, hey, but this is what happened. I don't know. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, but it's like, so for me, it's like, and maybe I'm going over the top here, but it's like, so they can still do that interview in that environment, but they don't need to have all the background noise because none of the background noise was sports noise. It was literally them building shit and them moving stuff yeah. around in the backstage which, which, area. Which builds so it's like ambiance that it's real and like the show's still going on even though she lost words if you pull her what are they look, building in the back the ring's already built what the fuck do they need to build they're catering they're taking down catering on. and so it's like one of those things i think it's just like if you put them in the back then it seems more fake it seems more pro wrestling you put them yeah but i'm saying the back is big you can put them anywhere in the back you just put them somewhere less noisy i, don't know. I think that's nitpicky for the sake of nitpicking I don't know. All right, one final beat. I hate these fucking commercials. <laughs> That's my first no. Um, I loved how Drake looked like a security guard rather than a ref. Looked like he was there to fucking make sure they didn't kill each other versus just like kind of yeah. pin. Um, I think that Riptide Wrestling deserves a fucking royalty check for this. Have you watched their stuff no. before? 
Riptide's a UK-based promotion. Check them out. It is literally the shooting style of this, but Riptide does it way better because they shoot on HD cameras. Um, or just like they the the way they the actual presentation is crisper. I think they wanted um, to be gritty, like this was an underground thing. Yeah. Um, again, this was this was one that for the most part I couldn't look past. I thought that the lighting fucking sucked. It was like hazy in the room, which means that they try to run a hazer and it didn't fucking die. Like it just didn't do anything for the shots. The camera cuts were really erratic. Like this felt like Kevin done on fucking Adderall. This did not, nothing about the presentation of this match allowed me to immerse in it anyway. I thought Champlain Gargano tried. I liked the talking back and forth. I absolutely fucking detested the ending with Candice. Sure. Maybe she needs an edge, but like, you're going to make me invest in this three-year goddamn feud, say this is the end, and then you're going to sell me that as the ending? I'm so sure. That's it for me. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for like a 20-minute diatribe on why you hate it. Like, and then I'm like, and? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, so there was there was moments I liked, but every time I started getting into this match... They cut to a fucking commercial and they come back and then the part that I was into isn't happening anymore and they're already on to something else. TV sucks. Um, And dude, like, I don't know. Like, I felt like there was way more commercials than usual because, I mean, I watch AEW and NXT every week. I always watch the commercials. They've never bothered me to this point. Again, it's because you're expecting, I think, one thing, especially with a blow-off match like this where you're used to it even if you don't think initially subconsciously you're used to these blow-off matches, you get all the way through with every little bit and piece where you're not going to get that on paid TV or, or non, non-paid non TV like this. Um, I really liked it. I liked the way it was shot because with the way Triple H built it up, it's like we're going to find a building. They were going to try to make it gritty. They're trying to make it seem like they're doing something underground. And like, oh, we, we're going to put a ring in a building. There's just going to be ref there to make sure you guys don't kill each other. And, like, it's like they found, like, a random warehouse, like, and, like, here it is, this dirty building, but I got a ring, just like I said, and here we go. I really liked it. I liked the story of it. Like, when Johnny was like, you're a terrible fucking husband, you're fucking failure as a father. I love that shit. That, see, that just felt so, like, what has Tommaso Ciampa done to signify that has no relevance it's just it's like it's it's just fake fucking words to me because there's nothing that chomp has ever done to indicate he's a like you can call him a shitty wrestler chomp is anything but a bad father or bad husband like what the it just felt like bullshit it's not if you know the character uh, johnny gargano is trying to portray uh, that he's always been in the right and he's like this little cocky shit now that he he's like i know the real tommaso champa i know like he's a monster he's a shitty person he's a horrible human being and like Everybody thinks he's a sympathetic guy, but I know the real one because what he did to me. And so to me, it's shitty Johnny Gargano, the heel, now trying to cut deep. Like this guy who, especially on these, um, the YouTube show that they did with Tommaso, with everybody just accepting him back in and like him kind of coming back as this like conquering badass hero. And Johnny's like, hold the fuck on. This guy tried to fucking ruin my life. He's a horrible... He's a monster. Yeah, and it's like... I understand he's trying to cut deep. He's trying to get a rise out of him, and he did. But it's like... 
say something that has pertinence, like fucking like, because you know, I wish I broke your fucking neck or something like that. Say something that's real and genuine versus just because you like, especially like if you watch those videos, like he prides himself on being a good dad. He prides himself on like them being able to have the kid and being, being able to actually be a father and be a husband and be all these things. And so he's trying to hurt him. So it's not like he's just trying to physically hurt him. He wants to mentally hurt him and put him through the same shit that he feels he's gone through. Uh, I just, I didn't buy it. It didn't feel real to me. It just, it felt like he was having to say that there. Um, I thought Johnny did a fucking, like when Drake said he has a bad neck and Johnny smiled and said, I know he has a bad neck. That was great. That was real. But when you're just going up to this dude that we all know, like you're not going to get fucking heat with that because it's just like, it's just, it's air. You're not saying anything real. Um, but yeah, so I really, I'm going to rewatch it. Oh, if you're in front of a live crowd too. Hmm. But I think that if they were in the front of a live crowd, they wouldn't be talking this much. Actually, no, I take that back because Johnny talks a lot in his matches, and I do appreciate that. Um, Goes back to being so, do you think this feud continues now? <laughs> you think this feud continues after the Cross and Bordeaux feud, no. or no? You think this is the actual yeah, end? Yeah, yes. What a load of horse shit. Um, I just really hated how they inserted Candice in the Candace end and all this stuff. Because it's just... Whole story. No, I know, but I'm saying, like, in the end of this literal match, I just thought it was so fucking stupid. Her coming in and hitting Johnny in the nuts, and it's like, her hitting her husband in the nuts makes this other guy realize that they're human, and he starts saying sorry? What the fuck? Like, I think you're already mad at this point and didn't like it, so you weren't gonna like, you weren't gonna like the ending, um, no matter what. No, it was just, it was so, stupid. No, you can but, show these things in so many different variations was, other than having your wife come in to hit you in a dick so you can pull out a fucking cup and wave it in the guy's face and say, I got you, I got you. Because, That's not storytelling. It's not dramatic tension. It's nothing. It's fucking it's childish. He honestly knows that Tommaso's a good guy and he was banking on that. He was banking on the fact that, like, he's a changed person since when he came back and that he was going to have a change of heart right there. And then, like, him seeing his friend, and they know at the end of the day they're still friends. At his lowest, he's going to put his guard down and be like, fuck, what are we doing? We're brothers. We got through this together. And then Johnny, being the little chicken shit that he is, playing this whole thing out, it gives Candace a fresh coat of paint. It gives Johnny, like, even more of a chicken shit thing. I really liked it. If I invite my fucking friends over and I say, watch this thing with me, and I make them watch something for an hour for them to wind up with the ending being a dude rubbing his cup in another guy's face saying, I got you, I got you, they're going to fucking laugh at me. This was, I don't think this was good. I don't think that this was what these two guys are capable of, what they're known for. Well, I thought that this was like the very worst the, of the WWE. Because oh, it's, it, it's like the WWE's sick fascination with emasculation and like you don't have balls come fight me and it's always this dick stuff i'm so over it really i think that's Um, so like just because they did a little blow and it was supposed to be like the cup like it wasn't necessarily an emasculation thing it was more so just like a chicken shit way to win I mean, if you're gonna do that though, you can have you can have Candace come in the ring and she's trying to talk sense into Johnny, right? And Johnny 
pushes her to the side and goes towards Champa. Champa in that moment realizes how much this guy has lost his fucking mind. He just puts his wife to the side so he can come beat him up. Champa in that moment says, this is done. This is over. Then Candace turns around and kicks Champa in the fucking dick. And that's the swerve. And that really makes them seem sadistic. You don't need to have this lady come in and kick her husband in the nuts for no reason. That's not who Johnny is. Johnny's this... But it's not like... like cocky little shit, like holier-than-thou Johnny Gargano, who's like... It's still the same ruse, but without all the unnecessary dicks. I, I just, I just, the, the it's such that, a cop out. This dick a weird stuff. Thing to get hung up on because I don't think that was what they were meaning at all. It's the end of the match. What do you mean it's a weird thing to get hung up on? It's the entire end of the match. Just, it's like watching a movie and being like, well, the last ten minutes didn't really matter. They do that a lot in wrestling, anyways. But it's more so like the dick thing wasn't necessarily the thing to get caught up on. It was more so just like, like he gets hit and then he sees his friend dead. Like, Johnny gets hit, Tomasa sees his friend dead, and then, like, the swerve of, like, them being like, ha, we knew you were going to do this. Like, maybe that, I can see. It's just a little blow. It's wrestling. Yeah. I don't know. I was, I was super. I think that this was probably my least favorite thing from this past week. I was so excited for this. And it, uh, I'm going to watch it again, though. I'm going to watch it again, and we can talk about it again next week. Yeah. Um, see if, uh, see if it changed. Group text on this, and... I myself, Did any of them dislike I, it? Yeah, everybody liked it. They're not. Oh, they don't fuck. have uh, as harsh views sometimes. I'm the harsh one there. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I, barely, I would not I fit in. A lot more stuff over there because I like the balance and because like I, I get. I'm I'm very critical of it. Like I don't. I just try to. Play. Ah, so I'm the bad cop here. To, so you get to, you get to say nice things on this I show, and then you out because if it's just two guys burying WWE for two hours, then it's just every other podcast. Oh, absolutely. At least, That's why we are the alternative product. At least see the good, and or the not as shit. And I think this was really good. I there was the there was some okay moments to this, but think, um, yeah, just not what I wanted. From, a lot of stuff, and I've told you this before. I think you're all like you. Brady can watch a WWE show. They can have good stuff, but he's already like he's not going to be his cup of tea. He's an AEW guy because he was a WCW kid, and like he, the moment they started that, he had the jacket, he had everything. <laughs> like, and, and yeah, no, and I mean, like I'm not even that big of an AEW guy though, too. And I, and I, I promise, I don't come so, in with these like preconceptions. I, just, I think more so, it's just like. He already has this preconceived thing. Like I'm, I'm looking for instead of the things that I enjoy in here, which I will find at times. I'm gonna look for more st- stuff that I can critique. Whereas when I try to watch WWE now, I just try to pay attention to things that I like. Because if I get hung up on everything, I would be as mad as I was during like the Miz being the champion. I hated wrestling. I watched it <laughs> out of habit. I fucking hated it when they buried Punk in 2011. So- fucking was so pissed i used to get so fired up like when sheamus won the rumble when sheamus beat brian but then when i instead turned my focus a little bit more on being like well okay i'm gonna watch the show i'm gonna try to pick up the things i enjoy instead of pick up all the things i hate because then i come out and i'm just a lot happier for person yeah no and um like i mean i really probably if anything my favorite show from this past week was raw after mania that was my favorite show out of all of them I thought that the Oscar match, the fucking Apollo Crews versus Aleister Black match was the best match of the weekend yeah. in terms of but, pure but wrestling. The, and then the I thought day, that 
or at the beginning of everyone, but this, you have this preconceived thing, which have you said before, like, fuck Vince McMahon. Like, I fucking hate this company when they do something shitty, because, uh, especially when they do something shitty, but, like, you always have yeah. these, like, reactions where a lot of mine are like, well, fuck, of course they did that. Like, I'm more so, like, I understand who I'm dealing with. Well, no, like, I'll give you an example here. So, like, Big Show comes out at the end of Raw, right? And I'm like, fuck this already in my head. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this a chance and see where it goes. I thought that was one of the best segments they've done all year. Because you have Drew come out. He gets to do his first entrance with the belt because he's not going to probably get to do it for a while. So, good for him. I like that they had him come out. Like, if I just want a title after Mania, how cool would it be to fucking walk backstage and come out with your title for the first time? That'd be awesome. I think that'd be great for the crowd to see. And then he talks about... He talks about what he felt in that match, right? That when he was down, Paul Heyman talked shit to him and essentially burned that fire in him. And it made him think about every single thing so that any time that I see Drew McIntyre get beat up now, I know what he's thinking about. He allowed me that invitation into his psyche, into his character. So then the Big Show comes out. Big Show challenges him to a match. He gets the match. He starts beating down Drew, getting the heat. People didn't like this apparently, but I thought that you just saw Drew oh, McIntyre give me, this uh, promo talking I about something. It's like, this is a, it's a, yeah. such a, this is a Vince McMahon trope. You get over a baby. No, and then you see the application of it but, though. It's like, cause this has always worked for Vince. This is why he's what he is. Because at the end of the day, the, for Hogan, you build up a fucking, you have a monster. The good guy slays the beast. Everybody's happy. And this is usually what so, works. It worked for Cena. It worked for Hogan. They tried it with Roman, but Roman was, I feel bad because he was dead in the water. And so they're doing it again. How do you get somebody to feel good? Have them slay a beast. Yeah, it's, it's, I would say it's less about like the beast slaying, but more about knowing the inner workings of this character. When Roman gets beat up, Roman's never told us, when I'm beat down, I think about this, right? Drew specifically told us that, right? So then we see Big Show beat him up. Big Show's telling him, you're almost broken. You are almost broken. I love that he said that. Because then we know, oh my God, Drew's about to come back now. Because he said that, and we know that Drew can't break like that because he's already been broken, and he's come back, and he's overcome all the odds. And then we see Drew kick his fucking head off. I love that. It was Drew McIntyre claiming that he can do something, and then we saw it applied in like live at like live time. We never get to see that. Characters in WWE talk about things all the time and never fucking do them. Ricochet talking about how he's going to teach his superheroes are real. Never did fucking anything like that. To see a character talk about something that's real, that's genuine, and then to see it in motion is is awesome. I felt respected as a viewer because there was logic. That's what I want from WWE is segments like that. But I'm saying like it has that the deeper psychology of not because he could have gone out there and not done the promo and you still have that basic baby face but it's the no, fact no, that he no. told us the exact no, 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 things that he basic, thinks basic of baby face booking is a baby face will say something then they do it same thing as when Paul Heyman is giving his speeches and it's a promoter thing you say something and then it happens so then the one time it doesn't it's actually spoiler it's actually a shock so like when he says because every yeah. other time he said this is not a like a fucking prediction it's a spoiler it always was until drew and then it's like oh shit didn't he say that with seth though yeah. oh yeah he might have then too actually i don't know if he did SummerSlam, i think i think i think that was the first one with SummerSlam. he said it i remember because it was like yeah, a huge so deal that's it's baby that's kind of baby face and just wrestling 
especially when you want to get somebody over, you have them say they're going to do something and then they do it. And so that's why it works here. And again, like I understand where you're coming from. A lot of what WWE is shit, but I think that there's a giant subsect of fans that are always instead looking for like what WWE is going to screw up and what they're doing wrong. And then really like going hard on that, which is fine. But then at my that point, I'm just like, well, then like, don't pay attention or like, they just like watch clips on YouTube or just do that. Man, I get so happy when WWE does something right. I sent the fucking Firefly Funhouse. I sent my WWE Network login to several of my film friends. I was like, you yeah. need to no, watch this. No, it's it, objectively no, great. Just like, and it's yeah, like that's uh, the exception, not the rule for a lot of people. Like they don't do a lot of things right, and I'll I'll tell you that right here and there. Like I'm not ever saying that they're the end all be all. They're not like my favorite like wrestling promotion is I love NXT because it's like what I like about wrestling, which is more so just like matches and like a lot more just like this is a pro wrestling show. Like you don't get a lot of like super like crazy storylines and like you get like the you get like the one main event one like the Johnny Tommaso or Adam Cole Johnny. That's like a giant overarching but overall like on the card you just get really good wrestling that's why i loved pwg especially in the golden years you just get fucking great yep. wrestling and that's what you get that's why i really enjoy new japan oh 14 to 16 it's, yeah you just get like great wrestling a lot like that's what you get and that that's yep. like to me that's why i love nxt is because you you get a little bit of the wwe kind of like we're making movies but then mostly it's wrestling it's triple h's fucking indie wet dream you could tell this is what triple h likes and it's in tune to what I like. I love Bret Hart. Like, to me, Bret Hart is one of the best because it wasn't over the top and showy. It was like, oh, this guy's just really fucking good. And so, whereas, yeah. like, people love stuff like GCW because they love the car crashes. They love the fucking weird fucking matches they put on, like fucking Dink and Marty Jannetty and Virgil in a fucking ring, you know? They love yeah. that, that kind of stuff. Like, there's people who love the AEW because, like, they fell in love with like the young bucks and like the kind of more like showy stuff that they do or they love the nwa because the old stuff old school stuff that they do so it's not like i'm a wwe apologist believe me i stopped watching smackdown for the longest time <laughs> before this because i just fucking couldn't do it it sucks i watch it now because yeah. like i don't leave my house um <laughs> same i know i watched Fri i watched smackdown this past friday and i was like God, so I'm really yeah. doing this, yeah. huh? <laughs> I was just like, and fuck. There was a good point in the, like, 90s to, like, 110 versions of the Russell Boys podcast where I never watched Raw. I just would listen to the Observer review, and I could bullshit my way through the whole thing. And nobody knew the difference. <laughs> you heard it here so first. Go back and listen to the episodes. It's not like I'm a... I, I get so sick of that. I almost tapped out so many times. That's more so I watch out of habit because... Since 1993, I've been watching every Monday night at 7 o'clock. And so, Damn. all right, one of those things. Oh, yeah, sorry. Go. I, I'm not trying to ever be a WWE apologist. I think they, company-wise, I think they're bullshit. I don't think Vince McMahon's an evil person. I think Vince McMahon lives in a bubble, and I don't think he's a real human. I think he is just... Yeah, that bubble does not include sneezes or burritos, just yeah, so everyone it's knows. Because like, when you see him, and he, like, when he actually gets close to somebody... You see there's actual, like, he's a weird dude. And, like, he has these, like, weird father figure relationships with a lot of people. 
because I think he always he never had a, like a real father that he could do that with, and then now he's been in so much control over his own world for the past. Jesus Christ! Now you're doing the Firefly Funhouse yeah. events on the show. I've been in his, own <laughs> his world for like forty years. That like not having that is a very foreign aspect to him, and he's like, well, it's crazy. Yeah, the this COVID nineteen things happening, but what does that matter to WrestleMania? Like, I can't control that, so yep. I can still go do my show. Vince hates it when the real world affects his yeah, fake one. it's because he's just lived in that fake world for so long. Like, he doesn't know pop culture. He knows one thing, and it's this. And I, so I don't think he's like people are like, oh, he's like such a piece of shit and inherently evil. I just think he's a fucking weird dude. <laughs> and on that note, you want to go through the news? Yeah, go for it. Real quick, yeah, we'll just we'll just go through it. NXT announces an interim NXT Cruiserweight Championship tournament. Uh, as we said before, uh, tournament sounds like the best idea for television right now. I'm super excited I for this. It. I don't think they've announced if it's going to be on 205 or NXT yet. I would love to see a blend of both. They probably will do that, and I just love that like it's a good way to um, have a ready-made feud for Jordan Devlin when he comes back. You don't have to try to like fake some shit, like. Or, like, kind of make something out of, like, you know, like, oh, he's been mad at this guy. He's been mad at Eddie Dennis all fucking fucking quarantined. So here we are. They're going to have a match randomly. No, it's like you set a cool match, and he already is playing his character great, saying how he feels disrespected that they're doing this to him. And so I really like that. Um, it, easy yep. way to... Love Jordan easy Devlin. Easy way to build television. Easy way to build, like a champ versus champ match that's going to have our... So Kushida has to win this, right? I think so. I think he Yeah. Wins. I feel like if Kushida doesn't win this, then he's just... He's really not panned out the way that we expected, or probably he expected. Because I mean, he's, he... he's been there for a year now, and, uh, I mean, he had an injury, but he's kind of just floated. Like, he really... He had one match with Walter. He never really had a feud so far. Like, I can't think of many things Kushida's done. He lost in the first round of the Dusty Tournament. I think it was mostly the injury that kind of derailed his initial thing, and then they mm-hmm. went to TV and he was hurt, so they were already kind of starting to get... And they brought, it, they brought him back with that beautiful video with his baby, yeah, remember? Yeah. And he's like, now I fight for my family. And then nothing really happened. I think what a bummer. trying, like, at that point, like, they're already building towards things, and since he was injured, he wasn't in the plans. It's an easy way to build him back up. He needed he needed to leave yeah. Japan anyways because he was already cast aside. So this is a good move for him. Yeah, I agree. Um, MJF has finally left MJ, uh, MLW. Lost to Mance Warner this past week. So he's officially out of the dynasty. I don't know if you keep up with MLW. But that's for our one MLW listener, Doug. Thanks for listening, Doug. Um, AEW Dark is now pretty much just squash matches featuring roster main roster versus indie Florida guys or Georgia guys. Do you think that this is going to lead to a decline in dark viewership interest? Dark and, doesn't matter anyway. You know, <laughs> but so there there's, they were saying that for the third hour of television, it's supposed to essentially be like a dark. You can't, um, you can't I don't necessarily know. base anything off what's going on right now. I think they're just using anybody that's available and trying to get their guys over a little bit more. I don't mind squash matches. So, I guess for me, it's one of those things where it's like when I stop watching something, it's really hard for me to keep watching it. And I feel like these dark views are just going down and down and down, um, so, which is unfortunate. Um, but we will have wrestling through May. Impact and WWE have gotten approval to film this week. Um, 
WWE films Friday, which means that they're taping SmackDown that morning and then going to edit it. I would fucking hate to be an editor for the WWE. It sounds like a nightmare. Anybody on the production team deserves a fucking million dollars because, like, they they have to work yeah. so hard. Um, they're unsung heroes. <laughs> the video package people. It's like, hey, we're not doing this fucking video package yep. anymore. Well, fuck me. I just spent six hours on this, but cool. And God knows they've been doing a lot of video packages no, lately. I, it, fucking hell. I think they. I think they um, signed up for it. They work for the fucking WWE. It's true. Um, Dark Side of the Ring is started up again. Any brief thoughts on it? I haven't watched uh, it yet. It's really good. If you want to cry, watch the Chris Benoit ones. If you want to just be fucking fascinated by a person, watch the New Jack one because he is a fucking fascinating person. Ooh. Have you watched the Brawl for uh, All yet? Jenna watched it today. I didn't have a chance to yet because I was working. Ah, I'm going to watch it. Should we um should we watch it and then talk about Brawl for All next yeah, week so too? Yeah, watch all the Brawl for All matches. Do a Brawl for All show. That'd be fun. I've never seen it. Okay, so next week our match is going to be Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody versus uh, – God damn, who is it? It's going to be <laughs> – Oh, the Funk Brothers, Dory and Terry Funk. More. It's the um, I'm <laughs> – It's my first Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody match. Never watched. I'm not – Dude, I don't watch old shit really because I'm always watching. I'm trying to – to keep up with 20 companies in the present so I never go back to watch stuff, so which has been of, like, nice. What I have a hard time with indie shows is that, like, you see the same guys. That's why I just always, like, I stuck to, like, the super indies, like PWG and, like, Evolve and stuff. More so yeah. Because, like, that's where you're going to get the best, like, matches out of them. Yeah. With American indies, I pretty much only watch PWG, GCW, and beyond. I would say it's a lot of Japanese companies. Like BJW, Zero One, Freedoms, all that shit. BJW has their G1 going on right now. It's called the Strong Climb. It's yeah. pretty good. Um, I can send it to you if you want. And then Noah just started their Global Tag League, which is like free on their YouTube. So that's awesome too. A couple matches a night. Um, finally, we're going to play – oh, uh, one last bit of news. New Japan is now canceled through May 4th. Also canceling Wrestling Dontaku. Will we ever get New Japan back? Yeah. And I think that they'll be very fondly remembered for this time for doing what they've done. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Um, they're doing a good thing by not running. I mean, I know people give WWE a lot of shit, and they should be giving AEW the same amount of shit. Um, totally agree. But um, at least they're not buying an island. Um, I know elite, like they're trying to be careful in the companies that are running. But, I mean, honestly, shutting down is really the way to go. I do appreciate the performers going out there and risking things just for our entertainment. Like, I get, like, fucking six hours or whatever a fucking week to sit and watch new wrestling, so I'm very appreciative. And I think that's another reason, especially right now, I'm very, like, just looking past a lot of shit in wrestling because I'm like, well, at least they're fucking, like, I get something to watch. Yeah. No, it's, um, I would say that, regardless of the way that I felt about these matches this week, it succeeded as a diversion, and that's all I can really ask for. So that No commercials. And then, uh... <laughs> no fucking commercials. Uh, dude, the commercials have never bothered me, like, to this point. I don't know. Um, finally, we're going to play a quick game called The Plot of Dead or Alive or What's Happening in UFC. So I'm going to read this, and you're going to tell me if it's the plot of the movie Dead or Alive or What's Happening in the UFC. A group of martial arts and combat masters are invited to a fighting contest on an isolated island with an advanced complex with the ultimate prize of $10 million. So is that what's happening in the UFC? 
Or just the plot of Dead or Alive. It's Mortal Kombat too, dude. I can't believe it. Anyway, we're not a UFC show. We're a goddamn wrestling show. We'll be back next week. That Dana White is getting his own island for this. Doesn't understand fucking Dana White at all. Did you see? Yeah, uh, Israel sets tweeted. I'll go fuck it. He's like, he's like, I'll go fuck someone up in front of the Illuminati on a desert island. That sounds yeah, dope. Yeah. And I was just like, these fighters are probably jumping like. Oh, I saw a gift today of Tony Ferguson covering his own blood, smiling, jumping back and forth. I was like, you're really underestimating how, like, these people would fight in a fucking volcano probably. Yeah, I, so I think like a lot of these wrestlers are too. It's like every wrestler gets the, op- like the option. It's to- that mentality of the show has to go they on. The option to not go and wrestle. Some people have taken that. Some people are like, no, like, this is what I do. I love this. Like, this is the most cliche line that WWE always says, and I fucking hate it. Like, I put smiles on people's faces. But, like, a lot of the guys, especially, like, the the baby face guys and, like, the guys you can tell really love this and have been fans since, a ki- like, they were kids, are probably picturing themselves as kids. Being like, fuck, if I was in there, I would love to have, like, some wrestling on right now. Like, that was my escape. I yeah. want to be an escape for these kids and these people. So, I do appreciate what what, awesome. the, what, what they're doing for us. Um, I think Dana White's out of his fucking mind, but it's great. Yeah, Dynamite is fucking insane. I think that was like the when you, if you go on F4W online, um, the actual like Wrestling Observer headline for like the live was um, it was like Raw Fallout. Dana White is a fucking madman and much more <laughs> something like that. It's just so funny. Uh, anything yeah. else? All right. Well, yeah, it's a good, 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 good match show. Damn, an hour and fifty minutes. If you've made it this far. Make sure to subscribe to our Patreon in six yeah, months. Suck your own. So, suck your own.